Solo, from the sermon series, God on Film, spoken by Mike Yee. Metro, it's a very, very special day for me because uh, one of my nerdiest, nerdiest, nerdiest interests is coming to life and I get to preach a sermon on it. Oh man, I remember, I remember the first time I saw Star Wars. That you know, um, uh, when um, you know, you remember that scene. You know, for those of you who have seen, you remember that scene where Luke Skywalker is screaming down to Death Star Trench with the with the X Wing Starfighter. Just I remember being about four years old when I watched. It. I'm not actually, I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't born when the original movie came out, but I remember watching it when I was like five or something like that. And I remember. Um, that, uh, that moment when Luke is about to shoot off his, uh, his proton torpedoes, but he's being pursued by Darth Vader, and out of nowhere, Han Solo comes to save the day. Oh, man. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I just had a moment there. I was like... <laughs> I get to talk about this movie this Han Solo movie. This is an origin story. It's supposed to be a story that doesn't really, it doesn't really add anything to the central plot, but it's kind of an interesting offshoot. Um, <clears throat> now, as a movie, there's better movies. <laughs> but, you know, as a Star Wars movie, I gotta say, I enjoyed it. It was good. It was fun. There wasn't a whole lot of plot to it. It wasn't a whole lot. It wasn't a super complicated movie. It was, it's not going to win any Academy Awards. As a matter of fact, uh, according to Rotten Tomatoes, I think it scored like a 75%, which, uh, you know, think what you want about rock, Rotten Tomatoes. It, they've always kind of came through for me. But that being said, at 75%, it is the worst rated Star Wars, Star Wars movie of all time, including the prequels. The prequels were awful, <laughs> you know, but I enjoyed it. I give it about a 75%. It was good. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so uh, excuse me while I nerd out for just a second. One of, the, one of the challenges for me during this, while I was writing the sermon was not to put too much nerd into it because I know that that would alienate a lot of you, so, but uh, there, there are a few moments. And so if, if there's something you don't understand, please raise your hand. I'd be happy to explain Okay. Um, <laughs> the movie Solo um, centers around this fuel called coaxium. Okay? And it's this fuel that basically allows your ship to jump into hyperspace so you can go really, really fast elsewhere. Now, I'd be happy to explain what hyperspace is and talk, talk about all the fourth dimension stuff and things like that, but that, I, I don't, I don't want to bore you with any of that stuff. But, you know, I, I am a man who loves this franchise so much that I've done hours, hours of research into hyperspace, okay? <clears throat> when we first meet Han, he and his girlfriend, the, the Game of Thrones girl, I don't even know what her name was, but um, she, uh, <laughs> she's a good-looking woman, though. I mean, but, this, but they're together, and they're, um, and they're trying to get off this planet called Corellia, where apparently they're slaves of some sort. And this coaxium is super expensive, and, they, and they've gotten a hold of a little bit of this coaxium. Their plan is to sell this coaxium and to buy themselves a ticket, smuggle themselves through, the, through customs, through immigration, get off the planet, and then live life happily ever after. That's kind of the plan. And <clears throat> what happens is, is um, 
while they're trying to get through customs, they're bribing, through, bribing the imperial officers and everything, try to get through customs, um, some, some stuff happens. Han, girlfriend, gets separated. Girlfriend stays a slave. Han gets through somehow, and he decides, he's, he, he decides that he's not going to want to live life without this girl. And so he, he tells her, I'm coming back for you. Right? And he... And, um, Sorry. Uh, and he, and he, um, he joins the Imperial Navy because he wants to become the best starfighter in the planet, okay, in the galaxy. That's what he wants to do. So he joins the Imperial Navy with aspirations of becoming the best starfighter in the galaxy with full intention of coming back to Corellia to rescue his girl. Now, <clears throat> he gets kicked out of the Imperial Navy because he's kind of a rogue. He doesn't like doing things the way that, that, uh, that the, the rules that are enforced upon him. And he kind of does things his own way. You know? And um, after he gets kicked out of Navy, he, um, he gets together with a bunch of criminals, a bunch of smugglers. And one of them, Woody Harrelson, um, becomes his mentor, tells him all about the criminal life, gives him all the, all the little um, nooks and crannies of what it means to be a smuggler and whatnot. And um, there's... Um, <clears throat> and uh, he helps them try to steal a very, very large amount of this hyperdrive fuel, coaxium. Okay. Some stuff happens back and forth. It's not super important. Along the way, he, he, um, he, he meets some very, very important Star Wars characters. Lando Calrissian, for those of you Star Wars nerds, Lando Calrissian, um, played by Danny Glover. Um, by the way, Danny Glover's performance as Lando Calrissian is worth the price of admission alone. He was amazing. Oh my gosh. You know, uh, he reads Lando uh, where, where he, he, he plays this card game to try to win the, the Millennium Falcon. Um, and then he also meets uh, Chewbacca, the famous Chewbacca, the big walking dog, right? <laughs> Who, when they first meet, tries to eat him. Some more stuff happens, and eventually, what hap eventually there's some you know, um, double-crossing that happens. The girlfriend turns up out of nowhere. Um, explain that, Lucas. Um, <clears throat> turns up out of nowhere, and um, there's one person double-crosses the other person, and the mentor who told him you know, in the trailer not to trust anybody, I mean, guess what? You know, he, uh, he betrays him, and um, at the end, Han wins. He wins all the coaxium, right? Um, the central storyline of this movie isn't all that interesting. There is no storyline, exactly, right? There is no storyline. It's, it's, it's about them trying to grab some of this coaxium and sell it to this dealer and things like that. And it's, very, it's very simplistic. Uh, the storyline's not super interesting, but what is interesting is the underlying plot. It's a Ron Howard movie. Now, if you watch any of the Ron Howard movies, there's a major plot, and then there's like an underlying plot. Something happens underneath. And what I found most interesting was the underlying plot. On the surface, it looks like it's a movie about Han Solo trying to get into a life where he can prosper financially and make a life for himself. But the underlying story is much more interesting. It's about community and relationships. When Han was signing up for the Imperial Navy, he goes up and it's revealed that he actually doesn't have a last name. The, the Imperial officers ask him, hey, what's your family name? You know, and he says, I have no family. I come from nowhere. 
So the imperial officer, will go, he, he thinks about it for a second. He's like, you're all by yourself. Your last name is Solo. That's why his last name is Han Solo. How anticlimactic is that? <laughs> right? <laughs> but, you know, it begs the question, how many of you in this room feel like you're doing life solo? How many in this room feel like it's all about you and you're trying, to, you're trying to make connections, you're trying to feel connected with people and stuff, but yet you still feel like nobody gets you, nobody understands you, nobody wants to connect with you, nobody wants to bond with you? How many of you still feel like you're trying to get through this life solo? For me, you know, um, <clears throat> taking all the Star Wars movie into consideration, um, there's two characters that really say a lot of stuff about me. Okay? Number one is Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker is the man that I wish I could be. You know, he's religious. He's all about this force thing. You know, he seems to be able to manipulate things in like a supernatural way. He's got a lot of really wise friends who can also manipulate the force and, you know, they talk in a language that nobody seems to understand. Well, I mean, I understand because I'm a nerd. But like, uh, so Luke is everything that I wish I could be, but Han is everything that I am. Han Solo, though he kind of knows something about the force, prefers to solve things with his blaster. He likes tangible things. He likes things that he can put his hands on into and, and that he can manipulate and control. He's brash. He's independent. He has a make-it-work attitude. He's unorthodox in his approach. He's ruggedly handsome. <laughs> I grew up a bit sheltered, like a lot of Asian kids in the 80s. Now... <clears throat> It was perfectly, now, eight, the 80s was kind of like the Asian, Asian invasion, the Asian explosion of immigration that happened. And it was perfectly natural back in, back in the day to, um, to try to make life better for your children back in the day. And way that, the way that my parents and a lot of other Asian parents did it was you study, 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 playtime is later or never. Playtime is completely and utterly useless. Study, 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 study. I had to do my homework. I had to do um, uh, Kumon. You guys, you guys know Kumon? Yeah. I, after that, just in case I got done my, with my Kumon, I had extra time left. My mom had extra books for me to work on. And if I was good, she would allow me to practice piano an hour before bed. And I remember what, what, what really stank about the entire situation was I actually lived in a really nice neighborhood for immigrants, for immigrants right? I lived in a nice neighborhood, um, nice little cul-de-sac, and my desk was right in front of this giant window. I remember that overlooked entire cul-de-sac where every single day, without fail, because it is California and the weather's great all the time, um, <clears throat> without fail, all of the neighborhood kids are playing in the cul-de-sac. I got to watch this while trying to do long division. <laughs> but I remember the longing I felt to go out there and to be with them. I remember 
how I felt like I was missing out on something really, really great. Now, bless my parents' heart. They were trying to do the best they could with what they knew. It was a philosophy that came with them. You know, I don't blame them at all. They tried, to, they tried to give me their best, but their best had a few repercussions for me. Because I wasn't allowed to socially interact with people, I wasn't socialized. I, I lacked social skills. I didn't know how to talk to people. I didn't know how to be someone's friend, or I didn't know what it felt like to have someone be my friend. And um, <clears throat> it took a long while to even get to the realization that that was a problem. Because when, once I finally hit school, and uh, I realized that nobody wanted to be my friend. You know, I was, I was a bit awkward. I didn't know how to talk. I didn't know how to interact. You know, um, <clears throat> shunned and excluded. This, this went on through high school, well into undergrad, even after I left my parents' house. You know, everybody's 25 years socialized. I'm at 10, you know. Like, it's, it's, um, it, it, it's, it was a challenge for me growing up. You know, well into undergrad. And so here's how I coped. There's a psychological term called compensation. And you may be familiar with it. Compensation means that you, you, you may, if you feel a weakness, you cover it up with something that is seemingly your strength. And, over, and when you overcompensate, everybody does compensation to various degrees, right? But sometimes you overcompensate and you make yourself really, really strong, make yourself look really, really strong in one department because you're really, really weak in another department. So, for example, if you're a person who has low self-esteem, you might talk really big, right? If you have low self-esteem and you, you feel like nobody loves you, you, start, you, you come out and you be like, I can do this, I can do that, I'm going to be the best at this, I'm going to be the best at that, Han Solo, right? You know? <clears throat> Han Solo is always talking big, you know? But we'll... we'll uh, we, we saw that he, um, he's solo. He's by himself. He has no family. He's an orphan. You know, he lacks that love and respect that most people get from mom and dad. Is it too much of a stretch to maybe assume that maybe Han Solo was overcompensating a bit? He wants to be the best starfighter in the galaxy because he's really trying to cover up the weakness that's within him. You know? <clears throat> so that was me. I overcompensated. I realized that um, 90s gangster rap was awesome. <laughs> okay. I don't even remember how I got a hold of those CDs because I was never let out of the house. But I remember listening to 90s gangster rap, and that really gave me a lot of. God works in mysterious ways, okay? Okay. <laughs> It gave me a lot of confidence. It gave a, a broken, socially awkward uh, man from the mean streets of San Jose hope. You know? It gave me purpose. Tupac told me that it's just me against the world, baby. Me against the world. You know? <clears throat> I listened to a lot of Puff Daddy. Puff Daddy was great. His No Way Out CD, I bought it three times because I scratched up the first two. You know, I listened to it so much. And he said, can't nobody take my pride. Can nobody hold me down. You see how empowering this is for a kid who has no, no, um, has, has no confidence in himself? Or, or 
I know, I know you guys all know this. You're all from the East Coast here, okay? All right? Don't act like you don't know this. You'll say it with me, okay? Wu-Tang said, <laughs> say it with me now, cash rules everything around me. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Tira is the only one who is willing to admit in church that she listened to Wu-Tang. Really help me out. But thankfully, I'm, I'm also, I was also a churchgoer, you know. Um, <clears throat> now, we went to really tiny, small churches all my life, and I didn't really, like, um, I, 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 I've never been a part of a youth group. I've never been a part of a college group. I've, until the age of about 25, I've never been a part of a church group before. You know, this is how sheltered I was, right? And, but I read my Bible. I read my Bible. And I stumbled upon the prosperity passages of the Bible. You know, you know what I'm talking about, the prosperity passages, the one that make you feel good, make you feel like you can conquer the world, you know? Here are some of my favorites, <clears throat> and you know these. No weapon formed against me shall prosper, right? No matter, I, 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 I interpret it, no matter what they, the people who shunned me and excluded me, say about me, as long as I got God behind me, I will prosper in their face, right? Or the, Philipp- the famous Philippians passage that Steph Curry made all popular, okay? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Absolutely, absolutely, you know? The passage I want to look at today is probably the most quoted prosperity passage in the entire Bible. Everybody, non-Christians know this, Bible, know this passage. Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I realize in this moment that all of these things made me overcompensate a bit, okay? All of these messages, the Bible stuff, the, 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 the gangster rap and things like that, <clears throat> I realized if these people are not going to give me their love and respect that I so rightfully deserve, I'm going to take it. I'm going to make it so they have no choice but to love and to respect me. So here's what I'm going to do. I am going to work on me. I am going to get really, really successful. I am going to make a lot of money. I am going to prosper. And when you see someone who is prosperous, you have no choice but to respect and to love them. That's, that's what I had going on in my head. So that's why I threw myself at, you know. But here's the problem, folks. <clears throat> what I didn't know at the time was, um, so the Jeremiah passage is... The way that we usually interpret it is, you know, if I got God on my side, he will prosper me. He's, he'll, he'll make sure that my paths are straight. He'll make sure that, you know, I have all the money that I need and all the success that I need so I can scream in front of my enemies, look at me now, right? That's, that, that's how we tend to kind of look at this patch, passage. But that's only almost right. That's almost kind of right, you know? When God is talking about this prosperity, he's... he's he, he, is, he does have our prosperity mind because what father doesn't want their children to prosper, okay? What father doesn't want their children to be successful and wealthy and all that stuff? Like I do, you know, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, 
he has a different prosperity in mind, folks, when he's talking about this passage. And you'll, you'll start to see as I go, I'm going to go into some of the background and start a, some of the context, and you'll start to see what I'm talking about. So here's the context of this passage in Jeremiah, right? Um, so back in those days, Babylon was the major power of the world. They conquered the entire world, uh, the entire known world, right? And the way that they governed Babylon was they actually allowed all the countries that they have conquered stay countries. Said, you keep your kings, you keep your government structure, you keep your municipalities, you keep everything intact. The only way, the only thing that we're going to require of you is that you pay us tribute once a month or however, however many times that they, they did it back then, right? <clears throat> you send us tribute and then we'll leave you alone. You do what you need to do. Now, what the Bible tells us is that this tribute wasn't small. We're not talking 5 10%, folks. The Bible tells us that these countries were having to go into their temples, clean out all the precious objects of their temples to try to make tribute every month. And when, then, when the temples finally ran out of money... They would go into people's homes, take out all their jewelry, put it in a big pile, try to make tribute every month. I mean, imagine that. Imagine if that system stays, still stayed in place right now. If, if, um, <clears throat> if we had to pay tribute to some major nation or something like that, and in order for us to make tribute, we had to clean out Metro's bank accounts every month to try to make this tribute. You know, this, this is the situation that they were in. And then this was how Babylon governed. You know, and Israel, God's people, was one such, one such country. And <clears throat> one day, Israel rises up and they said, no more. We are not paying this tribute anymore. We're done. We're at the, we're, we're at the end of our rope anyway. Okay, we're done. We're not paying tribute anymore. And when the Babylonians found out Israel is not bringing in their tribute, they send this conquering army. They put down this insurrection and then... <clears throat> And then what happens is they take, let's see, what, what was it? Uh, 3,200 3, Israelites, deport them out of their country, place them in the heart of Babylon. The reason why they did this, the Babylonians are, you know, militarily, it actually kind of makes a lot of sense. It's actually kind of smart. But um, <clears throat> these 3,200 Israelites serve as hostages. It is to make sure Israel continues to pay their tribute every month. Now, imagine yourself as one of these exiles, these 3,200 people that's been displaced and put into your country, put into a different country. Imagine you are one of them, right? You're in a foreign country where they don't like you because we all know what happens when we, we take people who look different than us and place them in our country. Look at our country, you know? Look, look at how we treat them, you know? It, the, the racism, you know, the, and, uh, you know, the, uh, the opportunities are certainly not there. On top of all that, their, their sole purpose was not for the flourishing of Babylon. Their sole purpose is to serve as hostages. If you're an exile, they don't care about you. They don't care about your well-being. As long as you're alive and you serve your purpose, you're good. They're not going to touch you. They're not going to do anything. Imagine, what, imagine the hostility you would get from the locals. You know, the locals who know that you are different, that you are the hostages. 
They have no reason to treat you like a human being. I'll bet the death threats and the rape threats, or outright rapes even, that go completely unchecked were rampant in that time. Folks, it is in this time, in this situation, in this context, where Jeremiah is praying and he, has, he receives a vision from God. And he writes down that vision, those words, and he sends a letter to these exiles. And it says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you and will bring you back to the place for which I carried you into exile. Imagine if you're the exile, you've received that letter. How wonderful is that message to you? That God has not banished you for nothing, that he has a plan to bring you home. If you are in exile, the number one thing that is on your mind is, I want to go home. I want to go to a place where I feel connected to my brothers and sisters. I want to go home to a place where I know how life works. I want to go home where things are familiar, where, where people know my name. I want to go home to a place where I find peace in my heart. How many of you today feel like an exile? Harvard, there was a Harvard study that came out and said that 90% of American men are lonely. 90%. That is, if we go by that percentage, most of us, most of us men in here are lonely. Metro, we are about 400 to 500 adults somewhere in between there. <clears throat> we attend this community every single week, week in and week out. How many of us have attended this community for so long with 400 and 500 other adults and yet still feel lonely, like nobody gets you or cares? How many of you may feel, how many of you feel lost in this community? How many people f- may- maybe even feel like people are against you? Or how many of you feel like, feel like um, <clears throat> you're, you're in exile in a foreign country where you don't, kind of, you don't really get how things work around here? How many of you feel like, you know, you don't understand how the locals do things around here? How many of you feel like maybe the locals have this, this secret that they are privy to, but for some reason you don't get it. How is it that that person, that person, that person, that person over there feel, looks like they're connected and they're sharing fellowship and they're, they're um, feeling at home with one another, and yet you've been attending this church for two, three, four, five, eight years and don't feel that? What do they know that you do not? How many of you feel like an exile in a foreign country today? 
How many of you feel like you're an outsider looking in? How many of you feel like you're a part of this community and yet you're still solo? If that's you, if that is you, I have good news for you. I have great news for you. The reason why we come to this church every single week, week in and week out, is to worship a God of the exiles. He is a God who loves his community, absolutely, but he has a special heart for exiles. After all, do we not have a God who in the Bible says that he will leave 99 sheep to go and look for the one that got away? Do we not worship a God who will turn his entire house upside down to find that one coin that might have rolled under the bed? Do we not worship a God who is like a father who sits in his house every single day and looks at the horizon, hoping and thinking and praying that he will see his son that has run off come back over the horizon? God has, God loves his communities, God loves his people, God loves his church, but he has a special heart for the exile, the one that got away, the one that didn't quite get it the one that didn't feel like they're a part of this community. That is good news for you folks. You, if you feel like you're in exile, if you feel like you don't know how community works around here, God has a special heart for you. You know? Now, if you look at Jeremiah 29, um, this is the NIV we read, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you hope in a future. There's an alternate translation to this that I actually prefer myself. You know, and it says, for I have known the thoughts I am thinking towards you. For I've known the thoughts I am thinking towards you. We have a tendency to focus on the word prosper because we're American, you know. Um, <clears throat> but, um, but, you know, this is, this is, a, this is a great translation, I, I think. It says, I have known the thoughts I am thinking towards you, an affirmation of Jehovah, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you posterity and of hope. People of Metro, those of you who feel like exiles, yes, God has a plan for you. Yes, God has a plan for you to prosper you. But probably the bigger, more important fact out of this, I think, is that God is constantly thinking about you. Like a father whose son who has gone away, he is thinking about you. You know? He knows what your desires are. He knows that what you want more than anything in the world, in the heart of your hearts, is to feel loved, to feel connected, to make you feel like you're a part of the family. People of Metro, those of you who feel like exiles, God's thoughts are upon you, and he has not forgotten you. Those of you who are married and yet still feel lonely, God has not forgotten about you, and he has a great plan for you. 
Okay? Those of you who are socially a little awkward, like myself, you know, those of you who may not know how, how community works, maybe you don't know how, how to get into a group and have a conversation within the group, God has not forgotten about you. He has a great plan for you. Those of you who might be a little bit on the older side and still single, God has not forgotten about you. He understands how you feel, how you feel like there's that you're kind of in a bubble by yourself. Everybody else is either married or single. You're kind of somewhere in between, right? You know, God knows that. And he has not forgotten about you. His thoughts are upon you. And he loves you. And he has a great plan for you. And those of you who are not Christian or are questioning your faith, maybe you're a little unaware of how this Christian thing works that everybody else around you seems to get. God has not forgotten about you. His thoughts are upon you. And he has a special heart for you. And he has a plan completely and utterly, specifically planned out for your success. Dare I say prosperity. God's plan, folks, for all of us, every single person in this room, is to give you not, not, maybe not financial prosperity, but certainly relational prosperity. Okay? Nine, most of the Bible, okay, I, I hate to be the one to be the bearer of bad news, but most of the Bible wasn't written to individuals. We should not read the Bible individualistically. Okay? Most of the Bible was written to communities. And this, is, this, this last verse is no different. When he says, when I, I have plans to prosper you, I am thinking towards you. He's not just thinking about individual people. Of the, he's talking about the community of exiles, folks. Now, <clears throat> here's where I find interesting. All right, so Han Solo. Okay, I... I I, I want to do a, a quick, small, I have a little bit of time, so I'm, I'm going to do a quick, small psychoanalysis of Han Solo, right? Taking into account this movie, as well as some of the older ones, Han Solo's ultimate desire is for love and acceptance. You know, he says throughout the movie, throughout all the movies, he says, I'm all about the money. Okay? I don't want, I, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to talk about the force, I don't care about being a part of your little stinky rebellion. You know, I'm all about the money. I want to be prosperous. I want to, I want to make all this happen for me. I want to be rich. That's, that, especially if those of you who watch the older movies, you'll see, you see that, that, uh, that line, right? He says that he desires material prosperity, but then if you take into account the, the solo part of his name where he's an orphan, he's never been loved properly. He's never been accepted or respected properly you can kind of connect the dots and see that perhaps Han Solo is using this this need to prosper financially to cover up his deficiency in relationships. Folks, in Jeremiah's context, he's talking to communities. And in your context, that's not changing. God wants to prosper every single one of you, absolutely. But not, he's not, we're not talking about financial prosperity. 
You're not going to live in the big, giant house that you're dreaming of. You're not going to drive the big, awesome sports car. And you're not going to, you're not going to, like, it's unlikely you're going to get any of that. All right? But what God does want for you is he wants you to be relationally prosperous. He wants you to be a part of this community and connect and to um, go deep with people. He, he, I mean, I want my boy to have lots of friends. I don't think it's too much of a stretch that God wants the same for us. He wants us to be able to connect to one another, to relate to one another, to commune together, and to be comfortable with one another, and to be, to be gracious with one another, and, and be together with one another. He wants to relationally prosper you, and the good news is, folks, the plan's already in effect. That, it, the plan has already been executed a long time ago. We just got to grit our teeth and go through it. You know, uh, <clears throat> God's work at times is invisible in our eyes. You don't see it while you're going through it, but 10 years later, you start to see, oh, you know, God, God, God really did something there. You know, God is working in you. He is executing his plan for relational prosperity within you as we speak, as you sit in church today. He is doing all that. Now, <clears throat> I also believe that we, the church, we have a role to play in that. You know, God doesn't just do this and all of a sudden you're, you're filled with, with feelings of wanting to be in community with one another. It doesn't work that way. You know, God does things in partnership with his community, his church. Now, there are <clears throat> church, I want to encourage you to do a couple of things, okay? There's, now, as a, as a socially awkward person, who's not where I was, but not where, I mean, not, not where I want to be, but definitely not where I was, I've picked up a few skills, just a couple of them, that you can practice to help relationally prosper the church, relationally prosper the individual, to help God <clears throat> do his work in people like myself. There's two things. Number one, stop and spend a moment with people. Sundays are insane. I get it. Especially those of you with kids, it's insane. It's very easy to get into task orientation, especially in a community this large. I got to go get my kid. I got to go and make sure he's checked in. And then I got to make sure that I got to get home in time so I can feed them and put them down for the naps or whatever. I mean, it's, it's craziness on Sundays. It really is. But... But I want to encourage you as a socially awkward person, okay, that it really helps when you, the community, take some time, stop, and have a moment with people like myself. Have an awkward conversation. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know, the, the ones that you greet someone new, or maybe you've known them for years and it's still awkward, and that's... Totally okay. You know, the kind that you like go, hey, how's it going? How was your week? <laughs> Weather's hot. Sermon, good. <laughs> you know? That kind, of, that kind of conversation. Have an awkward conversation. 
whether you be in exile or you be one of the socialized ones, those awkward conversations lead to prosperity. Think of it this way. Each, each conversation you have that's an awkward conversation, think of, it, think of it as throwing a coin into a jar. Into whoever you're talking, you're throwing a coin into that jar. You know, every conversation you have, you throw a coin into that jar. And they may not see it today, but 10 years from now, they're going to look at their spiritual jar and see it's filled up with coins, with social coins, with lots and lots of conversations. And they, they're going to realize, wow, I'm spiritually prosperous. And they might reach into some of those coins, reach back into those memories and think, hey, this coin, I remember, has Michael's name on it, has Deborah's name on it, has John's name on it. And they will start to see that God has used the coins of all these individuals of his community to prosper you. Start to see that. Have an awkward conversation. And those of you who are socialized, <clears throat> Those of you who are socialized, okay, I'm going to ask you for a favor, big favor, okay? David Hosang, my boss, he says a lot of smart stuff. <laughs> I'm going to out him right now. Do you, do you know that around the office, we actually call him a Star Wars name? We call him Yoda. <laughs> he said something very Yoda-like to me in good English, because you know, Yoda talks backwards, right? But um, <clears throat> he said, Mike, those who are not connected to community become strange. Those who are not connected to community become strange. Folks, I was not connected to community until I was about 25 years old. Those of us who are socially awkward, we're going to say some strange stuff to you. You know? And those of you who are socialized, you understand how everything works. Hey, I ask of you. Roll with it. <laughs> if we start saying some strange, weird things, I know your first inclination is, whoa, he's weird. <laughs> you know? Your first, your first inclination is to shut it down. But I implore you, this has worked for me over the years. Please, roll with it. Ask questions. Pry into their, embrace the crazy. You know, you might learn something about hyperdrives. You know, roll with it, folks. You know, <clears throat> the point of rolling with it, a lot of you, uh, uh, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, Mike, Mike aren't you, like, empowering them? Are you, aren't you, like, enabling them to be, continue to be crazy? Um, <clears throat> no, that's not, that's, that's not the point. The point is you're trying to connect, you're, not, you're trying to make connection. You're entering into their world, into their interests. And when you try to do that, I promise you the Holy Spirit will work. You know, and those awkward conversations, one day, if you have enough of those, won't be so awkward. <laughs> promise you. You know, stop and spend a moment with people. The second one, I think, is probably the more important of the two that I think we, we do criminally too little of here in this church. We need to pray with people. 
one of the Christian tenets, one of the things that Christians do is pray. And prayer is a huge topic. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Prayer is a huge topic okay, that can't be encapsulated in one sermon or one teaching. But here's an aspect of prayer that maybe you didn't know of. Do you know that prayer brings community together? Do you know that prayer makes people feel connected to one another? Has, have you ever had someone come put their arm around you and say, I'm going to pray for you, and in that moment, feel like you're connected to this person? You know, like, because I, I, I love the gift of prayer because something profoundly spiritual happens in that moment. Because in that moment, when you put your arm around the person and, the, and they put their arm around you, you're coming together and you're choosing to spend that moment in time, just you two and in front of God. Your spirits, your souls start to intertwine. You start to feel the struggles of the person you're praying for. And they start to feel you. And in front of God, together, folks, together, start to feel more bonded, more connected. Is that not what should be the definition of God's church community? To connect together in the most intimate of ways in front of Jesus Christ? Folks, I implore you to pray for one another. It's intimate, it's close, but in that short session, a lot of things happen. You may not see it, you may not feel it right in that moment, but I assure you, 10 years down the line, you will see, you will pick up that prayer coin and say, this person prayed for me. Let me just give you a, just a, a quick um, conclusion to, um, to how I have gotten to where I am right now. <clears throat> so, um, I, I told you, I, I went to church most of my life, um, but I went to really tiny churches, and my dad was the elder at every single one of these churches. So therefore, um, there was never any people around me who are my age or my peers. I was always the Bible study teacher, you know, for the kids, because I was the oldest one, and I read my Bible, right? And I was the elder's kid, right? <clears throat> so it, it wasn't until I was about 25 years old that I experienced Christian community for the first time. Like real authentic uh, Christian community. God led me to this church called Bethel Church in Ellicott City, Maryland. <clears throat> and um, he would execute his plan for, for, um, for prosperity for me in that church. Now, I've never been to a real authentic church before, but I had an idea of how it was supposed to go. I, after all, I read my Bible. You know, it was supposed to be this flowing community where, you know, everybody's accepting of each other and hugging each other and loving each other and everybody feels wonderful and connected and things like that. Bethel Church was none of those things. <laughs> Bethel wasn't this beautiful, flowing, loving community where everyone was nice to each other and accepting of everyone's flaws. It was messy. There was drama. There were cliques. There was exclusion. There were unkind words. There was favoritism. Everything that you would expect when you get a bunch of sinners under one roof together. That's what happens. It gets messy. And it was precisely this 
broken, messy, beautiful community that God would use to execute his plan of relational prosperity for me. Now, it would have been nice if, some, if there was somebody at that church who said, all right, Mike, I see that you're socially awkward. Okay? We're going to come up with 15 steps. Okay? And then if we execute these steps one by one, this is our plan for you. You're going to be a part of the community. I would, I, you know, that would have been great. It would have been wonderful. But it didn't work, that, work out that way. Who does that? Right? I mean, I don't know anybody in our community who does that. You know? The reality is, that there is no step-by-step program or plan to socialize a broken man. But God had a plan. God had this plan, this very intricate, detailed plan that still doesn't make any sense to me. God had a plan, and in this community, he executed it perfectly. And I began the long healing process of me being socialized. You know what it looked like? Lena prayed for me. Jerome invited me to his house. We had dinners together. Pastor Kenny, he spoke really hard truths to me. Truths that felt like harm. It didn't feel like God's prosperity. It felt like harm. Pastor Kenny spoke those hard truths into me. Kwong gave me a pass on rent when I lost my job. Hannah had coffee with me. David, he simply said hello to me every single week. Christine overlooked my brashness and decided to see the the beautiful person that was underneath it all. And everybody was patient with me. Everybody gave into my prosperity jar in various ways, some more than others. For some, for some, their only contribution was a smile and a hello. But God used all of that, all of that, to bring me to the person that I am today. Now, I am far from being completely done. Like I told you before, you know, I'm not where I want to be. I'll still say some weird stuff to you if, if, uh, if you give me the chance. I have some weird interests, you know. But I'm not where I was. Beth, uh, I just called you Bethel. Metro Church. <laughs> Wait, way to ruin a nice morning. You want to talk about awkward, right? Metro Church, especially those of you who feel like exiles today, I want you to know that God has not forgotten about you. He has not forgotten you at all. He loves you and his thoughts are upon you and he reminds you today that he wants to relationally prosper you and he has already started the work. So I encourage you, Metro Church, Let's prosper together relationally. You know, let's have those conversations. Let's have awkward conversations. Let's roll with it, you know. And for God's sake, let's pray together, huh? And we'll start right now. Let's pray together in this moment right now. Mm. God, what a good word this is for our broken hearts 
And Lord, I know that there are people in this room, including myself, who are socially broken, who long to feel connected to your community. And you know that we've tried. And that perhaps that in our trying, we were hurt. That people were nasty to us. That people passed us by. And Lord, if we are, for those of us in this room, probably all of us are guilty of doing something like that to another, we repent of that in this space. But Lord, we want to do better. We believe in your church. We believe that your church is supposed to be a community of relational prosperity. You willed it that way. God, as I pray for our church, I pray for our, our, all the souls and the hearts that are in this room right now. Lord, I pray for peace in their hearts. I pray that you open their eyes so that they can see your work, even for a momentary glance, that you are indeed working in them to bring them closer to one another. So Lord, I pray a prayer of blessing over those people. I pray a prayer of blessing of those of us who are on the inside. Empower us, Lord. Help us to have those little conversations, little awkward conversations. Inspire us to pray with people. Because in doing so, we know that together we will become your church, we will become your people, closer to what you had in mind when you originally built us, Lord. Lord, let us not go through life solo anymore. Bless us with community. Thank you for reminding us that though we feel like we're solo, we are certainly not forgotten. Thank you, Jesus, for your plan for relational prosperity for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a few next steps. I have more than a few. There's actually a lot of next steps. But most of it, most of it, you can get done today. Okay, so in the, in the first one is, is the one we always talk about every day. Hey, look, we're all about Jesus here. We're all about creating a relationship with Jesus. And if this is the first time that you are feeling Jesus today, maybe the Holy Spirit is pulling on your heart. Maybe, you, maybe um, <clears throat> he's making you curious about this person of Jesus. And if this is you, please check off this box and one of our pastors will get, get, uh, get a hold of you. We'll have a conversation, we'll talk about it, you know, and we'll see if we can relationally prosper you in that regard. Um, second of all, I will actively look for the church's little acts towards me. It's easy to get in our own heads, especially those of us who are exiles who feel like everybody hates us, you know. It's easy to get in our own heads and to uh, tell ourselves stories that aren't really true, you know. But if you were just open your eyes and see that someone prayed for you last week. Someone took 10 seconds out of their busy Sunday to ask how you were. You'll see that the Lord is indeed prospering you. I will actively look for the church's little acts towards me. Um, 
uh, the third one, I will remind myself five times this week that God has not forgotten about me. It's easy to slip into the slip into that mindset that God has forgotten us. Um, <clears throat> the next one you can accomplish today. Okay, I will ask for prayer from someone this week. Metro, every week we have a prayer team up front. Okay, we have two over there, one over there, and then one in the back. Okay, there's, those are a lot of people who can pray. Look, ask for prayer today. Come up, ask for prayer. Let the pastor or your friend or whoever's praying for you intertwine their soul with you today. Feel connected. Understand in real time what it feels like to be a community of God. Next one, I will con contribute to the prosperity of the church by stopping and spending a moment with someone this week. Do that today. As soon as you go out that door, okay, find someone, talk to them, have an awkward conversation today. You know, have many awkward conversations with that person. You know, over the course of so many weeks, I promise you, I promise you, it won't be so awkward after a while. You know, and finally, <clears throat> I will contribute to the prosperity of the church by praying for someone this week. This one's a little bit tougher, but perhaps you will stop and you will talk and have that awkward conversation. And perhaps you will take the bold step of saying, hey, brother, sister, can I pray for you? Let's go in front of God together, just you and me, intertwine our souls, and let's feel connected for this moment. Let's be God's church. Let's be God's community together. No more solo for you. 